Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we are. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. I have, I have four children. The Lord has blessed us with four children in our home, and my wife has done a fantastic job with that. But one of the things that I'm always amazed by when I get to walk with other people with kids, I wouldn't by any means say I have it figured out. I just have figured out at least how to, to fake it through the first four up to the age of 11 at this point. But one of the things that I always laugh about is when people are expecting they have this baby on the way and it's the first kid they're having. And they have all, because Jen and I did the same thing. They have all these ideas of what this kid is going to look like, right? And how you're going to parent. And you watch other people and be like, oh, that's sweet. You guys do that. We're going to do it differently because we know what our kid's going to want. And you kind of have this this idea of things. And one of Jen's family's members, or I should have said differently, friends, we'll just call them friends for a moment, um, had a kid before us. And this kid, like, every time you saw this kid, it was like, you, you could tell what he had eaten probably for the last week because it was just, I mean, there's food, everywhere, just a mess. And so Jen was like, so adamant, like, our kids will be clean. Okay, so she was like, they will be clean, and I will make sure of it, and we will do all these things. And so um, with Ava, our oldest, who's now almost 11, she, she was so clean as, as a baby. Like, our poor dog never got food off the high chair because, like, nothing ever got dropped, right? And such a, in so much of a way that, that she's kind of messed up. And I'm not going to name any names and who did that, but my wife is probably the one that did it. So she is just this kid that, like, even to this day, like, she just loves cleanliness. She loves clean. She can't get her hands dirty. If her hands get dirty, they got to be washed. She'll, she'll overwash her hands and like scab them through the winter. It's like, hey, babe, you don't need to rub back here so much on you when you're washing your hands. Like, anyway, she's just, she's just a clean kid. And so on her first birthday, because as parents of one ch- child, now we have four children, it's like it's all out. Who knows what's going to happen, right? You should see our fourth one eat. It's a disaster, okay? But, and she's like, okay, hey, the first birthday. So we got, you know, the birthday party. All the grandparents are coming over. Everyone's over. And we got the, the cake that's made so that Ava can just, like, you know, go nuts. And we picture, like, cake all over with these perfect pictures. Of course, Jen took all her clothes off, put it outside in the middle of December. It's okay. And so, so we were getting ready for this messy spot. And it's like, okay, Ava, go. And Ava, at one years old, is like, looking at it, and she's like, what? Like, where's the fork? Is kind of what I feel like she's saying in her head. She's not saying that, but like, that's what it seems like. So I like put her hand in the cake and she pulls it back and like looks and is like, ah, oh, like give me that, like, like tries to wipe it off. Like this kid has no idea what it's like to be messy. Like she won't be messy. And, and even though I'm sitting here going, no, Ava, like, like put it, I'm like putting on my face being like, no, do this. This is fun. Like, you know, this is great. Trying to show her how to do it. She just, she couldn't handle it. Even though I said you have full freedom to do what, what you want with this food. There's no, there's no consequences. There's no issues. You don't have to worry about like making a mess. Just go for it. And she just couldn't do it. Okay. She ate the cake, but we ended up having to do it with a fork and feeding her. That's basically what ended up having to happen. I tell you this story because it's a lot like, well, really it's not much like the scripture, but I'm going to use it either way. It's, it's, it's similar in the sense that when we started in chapter eight, a while ago in this letter in Corinthians, the apostle Paul really inspired by God, had been working through this idea of, of liberties or freedoms with, um, with 
with not taking them. Meaning, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, I'm gonna allow myself to, even though I know that I can and I'm free and there's nothing, nothing immoral about this, like these amoral things. In, in, in Corinth, it was the, the meat that was sacrificed to idols. Remember, they're asking this question, like, can we eat this or should we not? And, and there was this, this argument that was happening between two sets of Christians, the Christians that were maybe more mature and further along realized these are, these are offered to pagan gods. They don't matter. It's just meat. It's just going to feed me. That's all that matters. And yet there were weaker Christians, newer Christians, these, these followers of Jesus that were newer that had taken part in the pagan rituals to this, this is meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And so for them, it was, a, it was an issue where they started, they started realizing like if we start doing this, they might fall back into this idea of idol worship. And they might be in this place. And so the Apostle Paul, again, inspired by God in chapter 8, lays out for us, like, look, even though you have the right to, to eat this meat for, for the sake of your brothers, your weaker brothers and sisters, would you abstain for it? What does it look like for you to give up freedoms and rights for the advancement of the gospel? And then last week in chapter 9, at the beginning of this, we talked about he, he laid out this whole scenario of, of him being an apostle and worthy of the wages that God would give to someone that, that takes the gospel. Meaning, hey, I'm worthy to be supported financially by you. I'm worthy to do this. This is the, the place he's saying, I, I, I'm an apostle. I'm allowed to take a believing wife. And if I had a believing wife, you as a church should be supporting her as well and my kids. And that's, that's okay. It's okay to make a living by the gospel. It's, and that's, that's what he was talking about last week. But again, like I said last week, that wasn't the main point of Chapter 9, really the main point is what he is here today, which is this idea of having freedom to do something, but not necessarily feeling like you, you should take it because of the effects. Now, my, my little daughter Ava wasn't like fearful of being dirty in that stage. And again, like I said, the, the story doesn't really like line completely, but yet there's many times in life as us as Christians, we feel this freedom. We know we have this freedom. And what does it look like for us to say, you know what, even though I can do this, even though there's nothing immoral about this, even though the scriptures say it's okay to do this, if it in any way hinders the advancement of the gospel in someone around me's life, I will abstain from it. I will, I will pull back from it. Ava being clean wasn't hindering the gospel in any way. That's why I said the, the, the story falls apart really quickly. But it is interesting for her to be so aware of her parents and saying, no, this is, this is, not, this is not what they normally would want from me. Right? This, is, this, isn't, this isn't true to the, the, what's been taught over and over and over again. This isn't true to it. And how often in our lives as Christians are we not aware of what God wants from us? And so this, this text kind of digs into, although the Apostle Paul has every right for the church in Corinth to support him, like we talked about last week, Corinth was not supporting him. He was a tent maker. He had his own work that he would do and, and, and raise money, but he also was supported by a number of churches in Macedonia. We know that for a fact from other parts of, of Acts and other letters. So it wasn't that he wasn't receiving support. It's that for whatever reason, he felt like receiving money from the church in Corinth would have been a hindrance to the gospel and what was going on in that culture around there. And so because of that, he does this next text. Now, through all of his questions that were brought to him, because all the questions that the people, remember this letter is written to answer. He's in Ephesus. This is probably two years after he had left um, Corinth, he, he was there for about 18 months. All of these questions that he's talking about, from sexual immorality to divorce, remarriage, to meat sacrificed to idols, these are all questions, the division in the church. These are all things that are happening in the church in Corinth, and they're writing to him saying, what do we do about this? And in almost every scenario, and this is just a, we don't have time to go into this, but this is a free thought for you guys. In almost every scenario, they're quoting a truth that he had shared and misusing it or, or, or using it improperly for their benefit. 
In almost every scenario, which so often in our own lives, I think we do that. We, we take a, a scripture and we, we, we take it out of context or take it and just twist it to make it work for us as opposed to really leaving it true to the entirety of scripture. And so in this text, they're saying one of the questions that was coming was, was he really an apostle because he was tent making? He should have been, he should have been receiving money like Peter was and, and Apollos and some of the other people that had been working for them. Why wasn't he receiving money? So he must have been less than. And so he, he, had, he, leans into that and says, look, here's why I am an apostle, and here's why I'm worthy of all these things. And in all of these conversations, like, yes, you've heard it said this way, kind of similar to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, right? You've heard it this way, but, and that's the, that's the, the rhetoric, that's the style that he uses in here. And so in verse 15, we get our but to what he said for all of the first part of nine. So if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it, picking up in verse 15. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, Meaning, I have these rights. I am, I am worthy of the wages. The gospel is worthy of the living wage there. I should be receiving the finances for it, but I have not made use of these rights. And then he puts right in here, right at the beginning, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So some might have said, some may have argued, well, because he's even talking about this, it must be the situation where I'm like, I'm not going to ask you about it, but hopefully he'll give it to me. He wants to just kill that and say, no, nor am I writing this for that reason. I don't want that, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this on my own will, of my own will, I will have a reward. I have a reward. But if not on my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. That word servant can also be translated slave. That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so again, we, we already established the Apostle Paul's heart. Essentially last week, it's like, look, if me getting support from the Church of Corinth would help the gospel go further, then I would take support. If me getting support, financial support, having my means met by, by, or not being met by the church will help advance the gospel, then I'd gladly not take it. And so he goes into this and says, look, there's no reason why I should do this. Verses 15 through 18 basically talk about this idea of what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm going to preach the gospel either way. It's going to happen. And he's going through the sets of saying, if I'm doing it because I'm a slave, well, that's because I'm a slave I'm supposed to do it. If I'm doing it of my own free will, I'm still doing it. But either way, reward or no reward, I'm going to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't. This is him just establishing, look, Jesus has already spoken to me. He, he, has, set, he has sent me to be an apostle, to, to share the good news to the Gentiles. If I don't do that, I'm in sin, aside from what 
compensation or, or material things that I may or may not get in it. His point is that I'm going to do this anyways. And then in verse, in, in verse 15, he says something that's kind of, it's, it's, it's grammatically an incomplete sentence. In the Greek, it just stops. So it says, for I would rather die. And in, in the Greek, that's where it just ends. Just kind of like stops. And we go, oh, okay, what do we do with that? He just says, I would rather die. And then it adds in here, then have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. But then he actually doesn't ever talk about what his ground for boasting is. We're kind of just left to like, okay, we don't, we don't know. You, you would assume he'd kind of go into what that ground for boasting was, but he doesn't. He just says, look, at the end, I'll preach the gospel free of charge. A lot of, a lot of scholars seem to think that the, the boasting he's talking about is the idea of us doing, being accountable for the good works we've done, which is what he's talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians. This idea that we are to serve, to, to serve the Lord, and that there is a, there is a, a blessing, a, a, a reward for the faithfulness of his stewards. But again, that's just, that's kind of conjecture. We don't really know. But, but with the grammatical break and with him saying, I'd rather die, we can say one thing for sure, one thing for sure, which is that um, there is nothing more important to Paul, even his very life, than the fact that he offers his gospel free of charge. There's nothing more important to him. Saying, look, the gospel is the most important thing. My life doesn't matter. My, my resources doesn't matter. Nothing matters more than the gospel. And we can say that with confidence in both the way that this is written in the Greek and then also with what he's saying. And so these verse, first few sections, he's saying, look, I'm going to preach the gospel either way. Whether I do it as a slave that has no rights and I do it as someone that has just given up myself. And again, to a slave, there are many people that would, that would identify themselves as slaves to better themselves. This was common this day. No one would, would just become a slave or sell themselves as a slave just because. They would do it because they believe that as a slave to this family, life is better. As a slave to this individual, even though I lose all my rights, it's better. And the slaves in this day, if you were a slave and you were then became a slave of a family that worshiped pagan gods, it was expected as a slave that you would worship those pagan gods. You would adapt everything that you are to them. And so here, the apostle Paul, inspired by God, says, look, I'm a free man, but I'm a slave to all. And that is one of those situations, one of those things that we hear, and we're like, oh, neat, servant, slave, great. To them, it's like, well, hang on a second. You're willingly going to make yourself a slave to all these people when you, you are free? Why? Why? doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's no advancement for your life. There's no betterment for you. There's nothing that's going to take you further along. Instead, it's, it's, it's entirely for the fact that he's saying, if I can be a slave to all, then the gospel can advance for all. And that's what he's doing here. Verse 19 through 23, he, he kind of lays out this, for I'm free from all, but I have made myself a servant to all, slave to all, that I might win more of them. The word win comes four different times, and here we see it in Philippians as well, and that's basically it in the New Testament. And every time it's for, for gain, to, 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 it, it, to bring someone to salvation, you see it used in the idea of, um, in First Peter, when you, you win a brother back from sin, right? This idea of bringing them back from that, it's always used in this, this better or, or gaining something for them. And so he says, look, to the Jews, I'm a Jew. Now, that's not very hard if you know the Apostle Paul's history. He was Jewish. He was like the Jew of Jews. And then he, says, he goes on and says, no, but to, the, to, the, to those under the law, this probably included Gentile God-fearers and, and people like, that had converted from Judaism, as well as maybe ethnic Jews as well. He says, that's who I am. To those that not having the law, this refers to Gentiles apart from any Jewish influence. He says, well, then I will be one of those. So each of these groups, and then to the weak, I will be weak. And that weak is best reference to the idea of the person right before in chapter 8, the, the one that had a weaker conscience that couldn't handle the idle meat. 
eating the idle meat. He's saying, no, look, look, I'd gladly do all of these things. Now, what he's saying here is he's not saying, okay, I'm just going to look like a chameleon to everyone. I'm just going to go ahead and like, not have any identity. You know, his identity is rooted in Christ. And he's not giving himself to things that would make him compromise the truth of God's word. He's saying these external, amoral, ritualistic things don't matter. To the Jew, I won't eat meat. To the, to the weaker one, I won't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. To the, those that are not under the law, then I will operate like those not under the law. And basically what he's saying is like, I'm going to remove any obstacle, any hindrance that may be there that is an amoral thing that does not matter, even though I can do it all day long and it has no adverse effect on my own, my own being. But because of the chance or the risk that it might withhold the gospel moving forward for a Jew or for a Gentile or for those that are under the law or those that are not under the law or to the weak, I refuse that right for myself is what he's saying. So I give, I give up. I have no desire to go further for myself here. Paul's kind of intentional approach to ministry here never loses its focus on the priority of reaching others for the gospel message. Do you see that? He, he, never, he never stops with the, the fact, like he didn't, he didn't get tired of it and go, okay, well, I did my time. You know, I used to serve a lot in a church a long time ago, but whew, I'm getting a little tired. Life's been a little hard. I'm gonna do it. No, he continues to press into the fact that his role while he's still breathing is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone he comes in contact with. And if that means that he has to give up a right that is perfectly normal for him culturally and, and, and to his background so that this person that might be a hindrance, he says, I have no problem giving that up. No problem. Everything. It's interesting, the Corinthian people in chapter eight were, were struggling to give up a freedom. Right? The, the meat sacrificed idols. It's one thing. And the Apostle Paul says, I'll, I'll give it all up. It's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Verses 24 through 27, he, he talks, he brings in this idea of athletes and running a race. We can't, again, kind of like my daughter's analogy, can't take this one all the way through because he says only one person gets the crown. That's not the case with the gospel. Praise God for that, right? Because we'd all be done. But what he's saying is he's saying there's a way to live where your life is so focused on what you're doing that you, you run with discipline. Everything else is a distraction, and that's what athletes in this day were. They had these games that would happen, and it was like they lived, eat, breathed, woke, sleep. Everything had to do with the fact that they were in these games, and so they were disciplined. So when it came to eating a little extra carbs or, or having that donut or whatever it may be, they were like, huh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm disciplined. This is going to have an adverse effect on the games. This is going to have an adverse effect on what I'm doing, and I want that crown I want that crown. And he says, he, he says, look, this is the same thing, like a boxer beating the air. Like if you're just going to throw punches at the air, you're not going to ever get anywhere. It doesn't make sense. And similar to the Christian faith, similar to the children of God, similar to these, these Christians in Corinth, it's saying, look, people, you got to understand that you should be disciplined in the way that you live. Just because you have a freedom doesn't mean you should take it. You should be keenly aware of those around you. And you should be running in a way that you would see that the crown that comes is better than any perishable crown that anyone in the games would win. The crown that you have is, is from the Lord. You're to run this race in a healthy and beautiful and wonderful way. And that's, that's what he's establishing here in this section. He's saying, look, the, these athletes, they sacrifice everything. They sacrifice everything to do these things. From time to time, we are going to have to sacrifice everything. This is, this is, this is something, if you look at the, the fact that even if you look at a professional athlete today, their life is surrounded around doing the things that need to be necessary for that to happen. That's the push that he's making here for us. He's saying that the way that you live your life, the way that you give yourself as a parent or a coworker, as an employee or a boss or a student or a, as, a, as a husband or a wife, the way that you live your life 
should be disciplined like an athlete that's looking for a crown, meaning you don't ever stop. You may have rest days to let the muscles recoup, but those rest days are on point. They're on purpose. When you Sabbath, you rest on purpose, not just binge watch Netflix and eat ice cream, right? I'm not saying I've ever done that. We rest on purpose. You're disciplined. And then verse 27, he says, look, I, but I discipline my body. I put my body in subjection to me. I don't let it rule me, and I keep it under control, lest I, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Saying, look, I don't ever want to fall out of this. I don't ever want to be in this situation, so I will discipline myself, is what he's saying there. Not waiting for someone else to hold me to discipline. I will discipline myself like an athlete that doesn't want to be disqualified. And in all this text, honestly, guys, like I, the easy question for me to come up with is, okay, guys, here's the, here's the question. Like Ava, like my little Ava, even though her situation is obviously too far off from the scripture, but Ava was keenly aware of what her parents wanted from her. Call it good parenting, call it controlling, whatever you want to call it, right? Manipulation, however you want to say it. She was keenly aware that, that mom and dad didn't want her to be messy. More mom than dad, but I'll go on the record there. So she, she wanted to, to please us. Even though we said you have freedom to do this, she wanted to please us. And again, that is a far cry. Ava and, and my relationship is a far cry from God to us. But, but what would it look like for us to be keenly aware of what the Lord wants from us? And even when the world around us says, hey, it's totally fine. Even when pastors or, or missionaries, other people say, hey, it's totally fine if you do this. You're, you're so keenly aware of what God wants. You're like, man, I'm afraid that this might get in the way of what the gospel does. Not because of what consequences may come or anything else, but because you're afraid that it might actually hinder someone else knowing the gospel. What would it look like? And the easy question for me to say is, okay, guys, what does it mean for me or you to give up freedoms for the sake of the gospel? And so often, when I, when I, even when I ask that question, we think, okay, well, I got my, my family life here, I got my work life here, I got my, my money here, and I got my personal time here, and I got my, my other personal time here, and then my other person. I'm sorry, that's just kidding. People do that, though. But we have these compartments, right? We have these different areas, and we, we look and say, okay, well, God, what, what do you want in my work life? And so maybe it's, okay, hey, there's that coworker that you, you, you know they're going through a hard time, maybe you need more attention. Okay, great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and have a conversation. Or what do you need to do in my family? Okay, like, I, I really need to be more active in sharing the gospel and leading my kids in this. Okay, okay, I'm going to make more of an effort here. I'm going to spend more time praying with my wife. Or you can kind of go through those areas. Okay, my, my, the money, God, what do, you, what do you want to do with the money? Okay, well, you, you say you want me to give more. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pray about jumping on with the missionary. You can kind of go through each of these areas. And in all those things, they're good. They really are good. But I think they lose sight of the, the, the point of what he's getting at here. I think we need to do that. We need to take every compartment of our life and say, God, this is, this, is, this is your life. This is what we're supposed to do. But that's not why the Apostle Paul is giving up these freedoms. He's giving these freedoms up because he sees how it can help someone else come to know the gospel. He says, I will, I will gladly take these rights of mine and throw them away. In fact, I would rather die than have these rights than let the gospel be hindered because of me taking advantage of something that I'm fully fine and capable of taking advantage of. So maybe the better question is in what areas, or, or maybe we say it this way, what are the things that I'm doing that are a hindrance to the advancement of the gospel then? Okay, so we take our life and say, okay, well, in my work life, what am I doing that's hindering the gospel? And okay, in my, my household, what am I doing that's hindering the gospel? And, and I believe that the Spirit is good, and He will answer those questions, and He can work on those things. But I still feel like that question leaves us wanting. I still feel like that question kind of falls short of what's really happening here, what God wants us to take from this book in Corinthians. See, because here's, here's why. If I look at my work, my house, my family, my money, there's something seriously wrong with that statement because I put my in the front of all of it. It isn't my work. It's the work the Lord has allowed me to do. She's not my wife. 
It's the woman that God commands me to love like Christ loves the church. They aren't my children. They're people that God, they're God's children that he's entrusted to me to train up in a way that they should go. It's not my money. Come on, we hear this all the time. People at the church, oh, great money, check out, right? No, we hear this all the time. What, what of my money do you need to give? Okay, I'll give 10%, I'll give 12%, I'll give 13%, I'll give $100,000, I don't care, like, whatever it may be. The problem isn't that we need to give more. The problem is that we still believe some of it's ours. None of it's ours. It's his. All of it's his. It's his work. It's his life. It's his money. It's his personal time. All of it is his, and that's the issue with asking, what do I need to do to give up to advance the gospel? Because if I am left to having to ask the question over and over again, okay, God, what do you want me to do for this friend to help them see the gospel? I will always see it as a sacrifice of me giving up something as opposed to a joy of just being who God has commanded me to be to make his life bring brought glory in every aspect of mine. See, when we, when we try to find ways to give up these little things, guys, and it's good. Don't get me wrong. Please hear me on this. It's good to try and find those ways and get those things up, but we're still missing the point. See, when, when, when you submitted your life to Christ, you acknowledged something. You, you, Romans 10, 9, you acknowledge that he is true, right? You submit to him as what? As supreme controller of your life. You hear that? You didn't, you didn't just say, hey, Jesus, come along for the ride, right? You, no, you said, okay. I am a slave, Jesus, to your ways. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. Die to yourself daily. Die to yourself at work. Die to yourself as your husband, as a family. Die to yourself at school. Die to yourself in your personal life. Die to yourself daily so that I can live through you. And when it comes to the gospel, it's, it's not a quarantine section bit by bit. It's a, my whole life is for you. Every aspect of it is with you. We shouldn't be asking, what of me do I need to give up? Instead, we should be saying, Lord, how can I bring you glory today? Lord, who, who around me today needs to experience the gospel? Not just in the way I live, but out of my mouth. And as it comes out of my mouth, they can see that it's not just something I'm talking about, but my life actually aligns to what I'm saying is true. This is, this is what it means to give yourself to the gospel. Saying, I don't want to, how, how do you want me to actively be advancing the gospel to those around me? See, we're going to do baptisms today, which I'm super, super excited about. We've already done a couple in first service. We have another one today. What, what, I, what, I, what I love about baptism is it is that kind of that moment of saying, all right, my life is yours. I, I, I am... I am going to align myself entirely to you and move forward. I'm going to, con- I'm going to proclaim what is already true. It's, it's recognizing that our life isn't ours. And so for many of us, maybe the issue isn't what are the freedoms we need to give up. Although let me say this right now really clearly. There are many freedoms that you are taking right now that are a hindrance to those around you, whether it's your family, your coworkers, or friends to hearing the gospel. They could be many things, just simple things, completely amoral things. It could be TV, what shows you watch. It could be how you speak. It could be the fact that you still drink alcohol when your friend is an alcoholic. Like There are many ways that, hey, they're all perfectly fine for you to do. Well, not all TV is perfectly fine. Let me just clarify that, okay? They may be perfectly amoral things, but they are hindering the gospel to advance further in your kids' hearts, in your coworkers' hearts, in the life around I think that is a profound and valuable question for us to go to the Lord with. God, what do you want to remove from me? What do you want to see? What do you want to see die? What freedom do I, what freedom am I just walking freely and liberally from and just enjoying? And it's actually having an adverse effect of the gospel on anyone else's life. God, I want to be done with that. And if it's money, then take it all. If it's, if it's, if it's my work, then God, the work is yours. I will not advance anymore. I just want to do your purpose and your glory. I will stop looking to this life that is a vapor identified by him 
and stop trying to make myself happy for the last 15 to 20 years of my life. Instead, I will live today for your glory as a part of the eternity and the kingdom that is already here and is being ushered in by Christ until he comes to full fruition. That's what it means to live for him. This is what you see in in the Apostle Paul's life. Again, he's not perfect. He makes mistakes. But one of the things you can see if you just follow his life, man, the, the guy is beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten. And he never stops advancing the gospel. And man, a lot of us, when life gets slightly hard, slightly difficult, we abandon the gospel. Like just run from it. And that's why if we leave ourselves to ask the question, what are the areas? And we just do that and we don't go back to the real root question, which is, When I submitted my life to you, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been resurrected with him. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. When you you recognize that, when you get to that spot, that question no longer is what freedoms do I need to give up? Instead, it's God, bring glory to your son through my life today. God, show my family members, my friends, my coworkers, my classmates, show them who Jesus is so that the gospel can advance in their lives. That's where the question is. Baptism is, is something that we absolutely love doing. Baptism is a command. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's such a beautiful promise at the end. I am with you always to the end of the age. We see this command, and let me, let me just say this really clearly. This is not a command for just those that are ministers. This is not a command for just the Apostle Paul. This is a command of every single child of God. You are commanded to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son. It's a command. We see that baptism is a union with Christ. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It would be a massive mistake to say that salvation comes through baptism. We see in Romans 3.23, it is by faith alone. It is a gift of God. But baptism is a, is, a, is a symbol of what has happened. It's like the wedding ring, right? I'm married. You see my wedding ring. It's not, the the wedding ring doesn't make me married. The covenant before God is there. Baptism is is acknowledging, proclaiming that I am the Lord's. I have been crucified and I walk in the newness of life. It's a union with Christ. We see that baptism is, um, is through faith. Galatians 3, 26 through 27 says this, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, so in Christ Jesus, we're all sons, children of God through faith for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We become children of God through faith in no other way. And then he says, for connecting the way of becoming sons of God with baptism. Essentially, the four only makes sense if baptism is understood as an acting out of faith. So we have a baptism this service. I'm going to call them up in just a second. But before I do that, I feel like every time we do baptisms, every time you hear stories of people professing God and seeing the goodness of who he is and making this declaration, I feel like way too often there are way too many people sitting in the room going, man, I have not been baptized. I have been holding out on baptism. I have been hiding from baptism. I have been running from it because I'm afraid that I, my hair looks gross, wet, or I'm afraid of people looking at me. Whatever your reasons are, or maybe it's something more, more than that where you're like, man, I, I, just, I don't know if I'm good enough. Well, let me just tell you, you will never, ever be good enough. Christ is the only one that makes us good. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I haven't been baptized and I know I'm supposed to be baptized, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to take a step of faith. 
to act out in faith, that baptism is through faith. Declare what you have already known is true in your heart, what you've already submitted yourselves to, and let the truth of baptism come out. There's nothing more profound and beautiful in our life than standing up and proclaiming, I align myself completely with Jesus Christ. So uh, why don't you guys come on up? We're going to get baptized. Come on up, Drew. Heavenly Father, we thank you for baptism. We thank you for Maya's story. Oh, what a beautiful one. We thank you for the ways that you redeem. It is, it is only a work of you, and we, we give no human glory in it, but we thank you for the way that your children have been obedient to you. God, I pray that Maya would be uh, just a beacon of light for, for you. Father, I pray that uh, Maya would, uh, would see many of her friends and family and people that she comes in contact with come to know the gospel because of her faith. God, I pray for, for more, more faith like Maya. I pray for more people to be um, declaring the goodness of you despite their circumstances and, and trusting in you for the outcome of their life. So God, we thank you for baptism. We thank you for the, for the beauty that it is. And God, for the individuals in this room, if there is someone that is squirming right now because they know they're supposed to be baptized, but they're afraid to say it, God, I pray that you'd embolden them. Your spirit would give them the strength to declare what they already know is true, that you are God and Lord of their lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.